This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Yeah, there we go. Figure out how to work the microphone, Merrick. You've only been in this business going back to 95. Uh, welcome back to the program. Coming up at the top of the hour, Allison Lucan from the Seattle Kraken. and works as an analyst there for the, uh, the Kraken. Uh, Vince Mercogliano from Loha.com as well. We'll talk about the Red Hot Rangers. Right now, we'll talk about the Red Hot Carolina Hurricanes with uh, Corey Lavalette, who joins me now from the North State Journal. Corey, how are you today? I'm doing well, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I'm well. Okay, so here's the date that I have circled. I'm, I'm Work with me on something here, Corey. I'm, I'm going for something, okay? So February 21st, I have circled for the Carolina Hurricanes for one very specific reason. Now, on that day, the Hurricanes play the St. Louis Blues at home. And on my card, I have Kachetkov giving Bennington the fight that he's been dying for for a few years now. Would it surprise... Now, a lot of things have to line up. They both have to be playing at the same time, etc. injuries, whatever. Would that surprise you if the goaltender that finally gave Bennington his scrap was Kachetkov? You know, it's funny, Jeff, is, uh, you know, when they played the Blues earlier this season, Ranta had to leave, Auntie Ranta had to leave the game, and Kochetkov came in, and I took a moment and held my breath and said, oh, boy, if, if Bennington goes off, off the rails here, there's a guy on the other <laughs> side of the net who's going to be more than happy to, to skate the length of the ice and, uh, and give him what maybe, what some would say maybe he deserves. <laughs> yeah, he's, I mean, I mean, I think people really, I think their heads were really turned last year when he got in Brad Marchand's face and like, no, like as a rook, he's been in the game for five minutes and already he's going at 63 on the Bruins. Uh, from your point of view, what can you tell us about Kachetkov? To me, he's one of the most interesting netminders already in the game. I'll tell you, he's a really easygoing guy, even though he doesn't speak very much English. He'll, he'll drop something every once in a while. Uh, but just really easygoing, always smiling. He and Svechnikov are our buddy-buddy. And, uh, you know, just a, it's what, what surprises me about him is, you know, usually you, you have one kind of goalie that – can stop a bunch of shots, you know, face 40 shots and stop 38 of them. Or you've got the Martin Brodeur type who stops, you know, 17 of, of 18 shots and wins yeah. the game 2-1. to one. And he's proven to do both. He, When there's high volume, he's able to, you know, react to that and play well. And when there's, you know, nothing going on and then he needs to make a save, he makes them. And uh, it's been really interesting to watch him just, just blossom. And, and the, even the differences from last year, just – uh, the rebound control now and things like that. Uh, they've done a really good job at just kind of polishing the rough edges. And, um, you know, I think the guys love playing in front of him. He's uh, he's just really calming back there. 14 games, a .923 save percentage. And, and here becomes the big question that I think everybody's wondered about. What happens when all three goalies are healthy? I don't think there's any way you can send him back now. When I talked to Don Waddell a couple weeks ago, he said, well, when, when Frederick Anderson's healthy, uh, you know, Piotr will go back and play a bunch of games in the AHL. And that was the plan all along. And I think it's, that's, that's the right plan until this happens. And it's, it's how, do you, how, do you, how do you send this kid back to the minors with the way he's playing and the way the guys are playing in front of him and all of that? It's... Uh, He's just been really dynamic, and this is a franchise that, you know, hasn't had the best of luck drafting, developing goalies. It's been a long time, you know, mm-hmm. and the last time they the last time they drafted and really developed one who turned out pretty good, well, something good happened his rookie year. So uh, yeah. 
Yeah. It'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do, but I, I don't see him going anywhere. Yeah, he, uh, he looks remarkable. Well, I mean, the whole the whole team does right now. I mean, it, it's always interesting when you see a team hitting a stride, and you can see that with the Carolina Hurricanes. And I think one of the players, and this is certainly true from last night in the win over the uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Man, Jordan Stahl still has it. Jordan Stahl still looks great. Jordan Stahl is still a beast. Jordan Stahl, remember his nickname when he was with the Penguins uh, early in his career was Gronk after the uh, the Marvel character. Um, and it sounds like everything's pointing at an extension for Jordan Stahl in Carolina. This guy's not interested in going anywhere else. Yeah, and you know what's funny is at the at the end of season availability last year, he's you know I, I think I asked him you know what what are your plans you know is, is there any going to be talks of an extension this off season and he kind of dodged it and then said well you know maybe next year we'll go out with a bang and that kind of I think gave everyone pause of maybe. You know, maybe he doesn't want to play beyond next year. Uh, but it, just in the the start of this season, uh, you know, both he and Don Waddell have said, you know, they're going to talk things through, and it, it shouldn't be a problem to to get him extended. You know, the, everything he did last night was so good in that third period. The most yeah. amazing thing to me was the most amazing thing was once the Penguins pulled uh, pulled Casey Dismiss, and they had four faceoffs in the Carolina end. Jordan Stahl beat Sidney Crosby on all four. Yeah, just. Uh, and, and he hadn't had a particularly good night in the circle, and he's just a horse. I mean, I don't know, I don't know how else to describe him. He is a uh, he is a dominant force out there. He's not your typical, you know, captain who's the top scorer on the team or anything. But they follow his lead, and you know, his work ethic and everything just. Uh, just a dominant, dominant force on the ice every night, shift after shift. He, he's been outstanding. Um, how are Carolina Hurricanes fans enjoying the Brent Burns experience? Yeah, you know, I think it's it's taken a little time. It, I, it's always easy to slide next to Jacob Slavin, I think. That, yeah. that <laughs> tends, to, tends yep. to help things quite a bit. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's been very good, you know, on the power play. He's obviously in the power play struggled early in the year and it's starting to get a little little bit of a rhythm now but um he's if you were to draw up a player to play defense for the hurricanes can you think of anybody who fits better than than brent burns as far as in the offensive end you know brad brindamore wants shot volume from the points Mm -hmm. and that's all brent burns does is that that puck does not stay on his stick long as soon as he gets it he's firing it at the net and and he has a way of getting it through you know, we know that Max Pacioretty is on the horizon eventually. Um, but even, you know, when everyone's healthy and Pacioretty is in the mix, I still don't get a feeling or a sense that Don Waddell will be done. Agree or disagree? Uh, you know, Don, I spoke to Don about this a couple of weeks ago, and he said, you know, he doesn't see, he, he thinks your team gets built in the offseason. So he doesn't, I don't think he sees any, uh, big additions, you know, of course, injuries can happen. You know, I think back to 2006 and Eric Cole goes down and all of a sudden, you know, you end up with both Doug Way and Mark Recchi on that team. I don't think that there's anything like that planned unless an injury happens, but there's, you know, there's some, some things that they could look to, you know, maybe a, a, a third pairing defenseman who can potentially, you know, power play that or quarterback that, that second power play. Uh, so there's a couple things, but Man, you think about Pacioretty coming back. They've been doing all this without Sebastian Ajo. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been a – compared to how the season started when people were a little bit worried, uh, and then you've got – you know, we talked about Kachetkov, and if this kid keeps rolling, all of a sudden this looks like a, a bit of a machine in the Eastern Conference. You know, how, how much of this uh, – and there's like such a dynamically skilled player. How much of this is about the increased 
you know, performance. And man, has he ever turned it around of Martin Natchez. Like there was a time, you know, Elliot and I talked about this on the podcast that, you know, if Matthew Kachuk was going to Carolina, Natchez was going the other way. Uh, no denying the skill, hasn't been able to put it together until this season. What changed? Like how how is he different this season? Because, you know, like, you know, we, we all remember Rod Brindamore complaining about him. <laughs> That's not exactly a secret. How did things change for Natchez this year? You know, I think the turning point, Jeff, was, you know, at the end of season availability, Marty Natchez came out and said that, you know, Rod and I need to trust each other more. And I think people kind of took that as him maybe taking a shot at the coach. And then when Rod came out, you know, as the last person to come and talk Mm. to us, he said, uh, I'm glad he got the message. And, you know, so with with Rod, it's a two-way street. You know, this isn't a... Um, you know, do it this way no matter what. He wants guys to be creative, and he wants guys to play to their to play to their skills. And man, that guy's got a lot of skills. He had that play in the first period last night yeah. where he went between the legs. Where if that goes in, we're talking goal of the year stuff. Yep. Um, but I think that that's the moment to me. Is they kind of you know they the way Rod Brindamore looks at every game is okay. We played this game. It's over. Now we get ready for the next one. And we don't look to the one, two games ahead. And I, I almost felt like that's how he handled, you know, Marty's season. He, he just said, all right, that season's over. Now let's reset and let's come back next year. And to Natchez's credit, he came back. He's visually bigger. You know, he's got the big, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't look like a kid anymore. Well, he still looks like a kid, but <laughs> he, uh, you know, that, the wider neck and the, the bigger yeah. upper body and all those things. And he doesn't sacrifice any speed. And he is, I joked with him. I said, you know, if you make the all-star game, I want to see you and McDavid head to head in that fastest skater, because uh, well, I think he might give, he might give Connor a run for his money. Well, it's, it's interesting too. You know, I've, I, I've been banging this drum for a while. Like there's a lot of skilled players on the Carolina hurricanes. Like we, well, you know, like Tara Vinen is just like supremely skilled. Sebastian Ajos, uh, Andre Svechnikov. Could you make the argument that maybe at the top of that list, and now we're seeing it, should be Martin Natchez? When you just break down the skills, not about the gameplay and all that, but just the individual skills that go into making a hockey player. Could you make the argument that Natchez should be number one? I think you can definitely make that argument. I mean, because he's, you know, he's got that kind of Ovechkin-esque one-timer on the power play when, when he uses it. He's a very good passer. He had the, the five on three goal against Dallas where he cuts through the whole, you know, the whole Dallas defense and finds Tara Vinen on the other end of the ice. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we talked about the skating and the stick skills and just, just all of it. He really, I mean, he puts it together and you're just like, how do you, how do you stop this guy? You know? And like I said, bigger and stronger, you can't just push him around anymore. Who do they measure themselves up against? Like you're the Carolina hurricanes, like for the longest time, like, a team like the Washington Capitals, like until they won the Stanley Cup and got through Pittsburgh, they always measured themselves up against the Penguins. Did the Carolina Hurricanes have that team? Do they have a Pittsburgh Penguins to the Washington Capitals? I, I think if you asked Rod that question, the answer would be the defending champions. That's who they want to be. So that's the team you measure yourself against. That's that's always his end goal. You know, he. He wants to win every night. He, you know, winning the, If you do things the right way, then you win the division. That's what you want to do. But that, that's mm-hmm. not the end goal. And I think, at the end of the day, that's what they want to do. Is they want to be better than the best team in the league. Now we can 
argue that, you know, maybe Colorado's not the best team in the league at the moment, but they're the ones wearing the crown, right? So that's, that's who you want to take it from. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned the Bruins. Obviously, they're having an amazing year, but maybe they broke, you know, broke through for good on them last season in the playoffs. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this is a – I think this is the best version of this team yet, and we haven't even seen the biggest addition uh, – well, one of the bigger additions, I guess, if we count Brent Burns yeah. and, uh, and Max Pacioretty. Uh, all of a sudden, you insert a 30-goal score into your lineup. Not too bad. Uh, Corey, I have about 30 seconds for this one, but uh, first place officially is up for grabs tomorrow in the Metropolitan Division as the Hurricanes face off against the New Jersey Devils. How does or how do the Hurricanes match up against this team? I mean, one's won, uh, won five in a row. The other has lost five in a row. But how do, the, how do the Canes match up against the Devils right now? The Dougie Hamilton Bowl. That's what we're getting. <laughs> um, yeah, the, uh, yeah, I mean they're not that they're not that different, right? I mean you've yeah. got the the dominant shutdown center on both sides. You've got some amazing skill on both sides. Uh, I mentioned Dougie, obviously that's a guy who fits the mold of what Brent Burns does as well, with just shot volume and creativity in the offensive end. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a it's a really good matchup, and I think the difference might be you know who's between the pipes and. You had told me in you know early October that it would be the the, the Russian kid. Uh, I, I I don't know if I've been surprised, but I might have you know raised my eyebrows a bit. But um, you know we'll see if the Devils can can get back to getting good goaltending. I think you know that's a that's that's been a question mark for them all you know throughout the last couple of years, and we'll see if they can kind of right the ship there. And uh, but the Hurricanes right now they've got maybe the hottest goalie in the league and. Uh, you know they got two others that can play play pretty well too. So uh, it's it's going to be a great matchup. A, ni- a nice problem to have for a team. Corey, always appreciate it, pal. Have a good rest of your day and enjoy the Devils game tomorrow. You too. Happy holidays, Jeff. To you as well, Corey Lavalette from the North State Journal covering the Carolina Hurricanes, one of the hottest teams in the league. Well, them and the Rangers, uh, certainly in the East, certainly in the Metropolitan. Uh, we'll take a break. Uh, one of the surprise stories this season at the first half, and we're you know holiday break is coming up here in a couple of moments. Um, are the Seattle Kraken. Uh, how have they been able to do it? Allison Lucan, uh, Seattle Kraken analyst, joins me in a couple of moments. Hour two is on the horizon. Stick with me. Uh, another hour coming up. Allison and then Vince Mercogliano. We'll talk about the Rangers. Keep it here. Back in a moment. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, we're going to get on the New York Rangers page. Uh, if you haven't been following, they're kind of hot. Seven in a row. Haven't lost since the uh, Truba Chucks the Helmet game earlier this month. Taking apart the Blackhawks yesterday, doubling up the Philadelphia Flyers on Saturday. Rangers look good. Um, and so do the Seattle Kraken, even though they've hit a little bit of a speed wobble of recent note. The win last night against the Winnipeg Jets. A nice one after losing five of their last six. Allison Lucan joins me now from uh, the Seattle Kraken analyst for that fine team. Allison, how are you today? I am great, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I'm good. So I'm going to ask you uh, the most frivolous question anyone will ask you all day. You ready for this? Actually, (laughs) Actually, I have two, but I may save the second one for later on. So Jen Rolnick, who does her best job every single day trying to make me look presentable on television... Um, and I were just singing your name to the tune of Eleanor Rigby. 
by the Beatles. <laughs> has that ever happened to you before? She, uh, Jen says she does it to Elliot Friedman as well. Elliot Friedman. <laughs> you ever get that? Have you ever had that in your life? No, I get Allison by Elvis Costello a lot, which I love. Oh, great song. Um, but oh, I, have, I love I, that song. Oh, yes, it's so good. Yes. But I have not had the honor of having a Beatles cover. <laughs> That's pretty cool. It fits. It's I so, like it. I like it. Totally fits. Uh, thanks to Jen for that one. Uh, okay, so it fits. What is making the Seattle Kraken fit this season? I know of recent note there hasn't been uh, a ton of success, but this has been a successful team leading up to the holiday break here. Um, what have they done right? We'll start with broad strokes. Like if there are a couple of things you could point at right out of the gate, because you know this is a really impressive team right now. Although you might say that it's a team that's thinking up on people, that may change in the second half. But what are they doing right? Yeah, I think you know the couple things that I always point to. The first is the scoring depth. This is a lot more balanced of a group, particularly on the forward side. So there isn't that pressure on one guy or one line. Right. Um, the scoring can come from a couple different places. I think that's been really, really important. And that's not just the new additions, which have been significant, but also the players who have been here slotting into the exact right spot for their role. And then I think, you know, it's, it's funny, even though the results haven't necessarily been there these last few games, every team has these slumps. The goaltending has been so much stronger this year. I mean, Philip Grubauer is in one of his best stretches right now for the Kraken. So when you have that going well, you know, that kind of hurt them last season a lot more than maybe it should have or going in. So I think those are the two main things that I think have upped the level of competitiveness and performance for this group. You know, it is interesting you mentioned the goaltending as well, because I think a lot of us, when when Drieger went down and they turned to to Martin Jones, we said, "Uh uh-oh. The this this might undo everything um, that Ron Francis is trying to do, and and it's not as if you know, like it, it's 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 not as if at the beginning of the season when Seattle first heated up that they had you know the ghost of Terry Sawchuk and and Patrick Waugh in his prime backing him up, like not that they did <laughs> not that they won games in spite of their goaltending, but I looked at the goaltending and said, well, Seattle's winning and the goaltending has been okay, not great, just okay. Am I off on this one or am I bang on? Yeah, well, I think it's a little bit more nuanced, right? Because it's all about those numbers that we look at beyond just the save percentage. I mean, you look at one game that I keep pointing at this season is the win on the road at Calgary. Um, And, you know, Philip Grubauer is injured. Martin Jones is away from the team for personal reasons. And Joey Decord steps in. Mm-hmm. And if you look at that save percentage, it's like, I think if you go to like the fourth decimal point, this is me nerding out in my way now, Jeff, it's, uh, you know, it's eight, nine, 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 nine. It'll round up to a 900, but it's, but he was key in that game. If you watch that game, it was his performance that helped that group be able to rally back and come back from a two goal deficit to win. And that was what really started a lot of success for this team was the confidence that came out of that win in Calgary on the road. So I think that it has been a little bit more of the quality performance. You know, unfortunately, that 8-9 fiasco in L.A. kind of undid a lot of Martin Jones' numbers on the season. But that was a fun game. Was, oh, <laughs> it was chaos. Chaos. Um, but, you know, it's he, he was good. He was beating expectations. And I think if you look at the group that was in front of these goaltenders, that's, that's what they needed. That's all they needed. And to have that confidence in your net once mm. again – 
allows them to do their thing that much more effectively. You know, Seattle really is a fascinating team on and off the ice. And and I want to get to, you know, what Seattle means for this league financially and maybe even, you know, what, you know, what, uh, what Seattle means for the salary cap. You know, we throw in a team like Vegas and the Leafs and the Rangers, et cetera. But I want to get there in a second. Um, can you walk us through the thinking behind uh, claiming Tolvanen? And were you surprised that it took as long as Seattle for a claim to go through? Yeah, I was, honestly. When, when the news came through, you know, we were on the road and the news came through and I was like, wow, I'm shocked that it, that it went that low. But, you know, I think if you look at how this team operates, they are about using all the information available to find value that they think maybe other groups are not able to identify. And one of the really smart things that Ron Francis and his team did was they built this team with room to make moves as they grow because he knows the window is still coming, right? So they had cap space in the summer to add pieces that they knew they needed. They had some flexibility with, with moving players around to go get a Tolvan and see what he does. And, you know, this was going all over the place. And I heard you and Elliot mention this too. You know, you look at Micah Blake McCurdy's data and Tolvanen has really rounded out to a very strong defensive forward, at least in his limited use, which is mm. a hallmark of a Kraken player. And then you talk about, you know, his, his calling card, which is this shot and this offensive prowess, that Kraken need more of that. So when you're a group that can take that flyer and see if you can unlock something in the player, they just did it with Daniel Strong this season. Yes. So maybe this is another chance and it's a low risk move for a team that can do it. Let, let me get to Sprong here in a second, but uh, I want to pause on something that you said as well. Cause I, I'm curious about, you know, finding, you know, finding information about a player that other teams miss. And I think everybody's uh, is in that fight right now, right? What can you, what can you glean? What can you extract? Do you have the people that can, you know, show you the error of everyone else's thinking? Um, and we think of a team like the Carolina hurricanes and a lot gets filtered through Eric Tolsky. Eric Tulski may not be a household name, but anyone in the Carolina organization looks up and down that roster and goes, Tulski approved, Tulski approved, Tulski approved. There's a reason he interviewed for the Chicago job. And somewhere down the road, Eric Tulski is going to run his own team. Does Seattle have something similar, if not identical, in Alexandra Mandricki? Well, I, I can't say enough about Alex. I mean, she is... I've watched her just skyrocket in her career and, and it's been deserved every step of the way. And I think that in addition, you know, it's, you, you look at an Eric Tolsky who I have tremendous respect for too. And, and these are, these are thought leaders and it's easy for people to pigeonhole them maybe a little bit more quote unquote, just analytics, right. Or just data. Mm-hmm. And I think what the both of them have that really sets them apart is that they have organizational prowess. They understand how to communicate decisions. They understand how to leverage different pieces of information and go through the analysis of all of that information to make a good decision. They're not just out there saying the data says X. And so I think it's the processes that these two implement, not just the kinds of information that they're able to harvest and bring to the table that maybe others have not been able to before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of this, too, and again, this is changing, but there are still some teams, uh, and you know who they are, um, where from the, uh, you know, from the analytics department, for lack of a better term, uh, the manager will get a stack of papers in the morning, might have it, you know, go underneath his nose, and it'll go from his hand to the trash right away. (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm guessing Seattle and Ron Francis uh, not like that. Wasn't like that with... 
Carolina, no reason to believe is like that with Seattle. Well, exactly. And I think, you know, that's, that's the perfect thread to tie to what we just talked about is Eric Tolsky, right or wrong, isn't given the opportunity to be Eric Tolsky without working with someone like Ron Francis. And, you know, a huge statement is we just had our hockey analytics conference out here a few weeks ago and it was on a game day and Ron made time to be on a panel and, and speak to our attendees and really drive home again saying, I'm going to look at everything, and it's when everything doesn't agree is when I start to dig in. But data is an essential part of his process, but there's no weight put more or less into any piece. And, and you know, it's a puzzle, yeah. and making sure that the puzzle forms a complete picture, and when it doesn't, figuring out how to make the puzzle pieces fit together to tell a true story. And I think that you have to have leadership that buys in to whatever you're doing. And, and I'm not in the room with them, but Ron certainly seems to be walking the walk, not just talking the talk. You know, speaking of puzzles, um, for the longest time, and I <laughs> listen, I first saw Daniel Sprong in Charlottetown, okay, when he played with the Islanders. High, high-skill player. And the background is interesting. You know, he came over from Amsterdam, uh, him and his father. I believe when he was seven or eight years old, the family moved to Montreal and... Um, it was every year he played on a different team. Like dad had Daniel playing on a different elite level team. Every, he ended up in Wilkes-Barre for a year as well. But and they were headquartered in Montreal, but the kid would be on a different team every year. It wasn't until junior. Like it wasn't until they got to the Charlottetown Islanders that Daniel Sprong actually played on the same team for two seasons in a row. Like that was totally new. And I think we've always been waiting for someone to be able to solve that Rubik's Cube, you know, to find the right pieces of that puzzle. Um, And it seems to have worked with the Seattle Kraken. How have they done this? Yeah, and, you know, I heard when you shared that story for the first time, I think you were talking with John Forslund when you you shared that, and I was like, wow. Yeah. You, You know, and I think that, you know, what struck out to me from that point, Jeff, was I thought about the impact on how he's able the skill is obvious, right? But how is he able to mesh in the room when you haven't had tenure to understand building with a team and having longevity of relationships and the benefits of longstanding chemistry and, and the guys you've fought for the championship with and built with built the team with over a couple seasons. I think there's a team element too, that, that I, I know his dad was certainly helping him be the best player he could be. And this was not his intention, but I wonder if, that was part of the impact of just being able to fit into the chemistry 100%. of a room, Hundred percent, you know? And so that was my big takeaway there. And I think when you look at that and when you say that he comes out of last season, no team is interested, but the Kraken come back and say, we'll give you a PTO. And they had that blunt honesty with him and, and he's here now and he's proving what he can do. And he is being utilized and respected on quote unquote, a fourth line. I think that, He's got the stability now being with the same group of guys and fitting in there. This is, feels to me like a very healthy room right now. So he's got that going for him. And I think that when you have a player who has his skill, who has that, that shot be his calling card and his teammates see him fully embracing without complaint, less minutes, but still producing, I think that goes a long way in strengthening those relationships too. And I think, again, it's back to this puzzle idea. He had mm-hmm. to have some humility. He's filling in his role. His skill is coming. His two-way game is rounding out. And it's just all falling together. I never thought this would have happened, but I think it's a really, really cool story. Uh, it really is. And that entire fourth line, like, well, listen, Brandon Tanev is a fascinating guy, and it's not just the uh, the yearbook pictures either. Um, 
And I'll tell you, you know what? I'm, I don't know. I'm such a geek. I am so fascinated by Morgan Geeky's visor with the rose tint. And I, I believe, I believe it has to do with that, with an eye issue that he has and it makes his eyes perform better or relax more. I'm not sure. Um, I love it. Uh, what did you think the first time you saw the rose tinted visor of Morgan Geeky? Well, I, I think Morgan Geeky is just a tremendous part of this team. And, and it was funny. He was, he shared uh, in some of our preseason interviews that he actually wanted to play defense and his dad wouldn't let him. So he's, he's a wow. forward by default, unfortunately. He's, he's the, um, the opposite but, of Tage Thompson, whose dad who played defense in the NHL tried to make him a defenseman. He would cry. He's like, dad, right. I don't want to play defense. <laughs> that's right. You know, and so I think, uh, Morgan, my read on him is he does things his own way. You know, he came in and took the mic out of my hand during a scrum on the road this past trip and had a great time talking to Maddie Beneers. And I think if he found that visor and it works for, for him and keeps him at his best, more power to him. So <laughs> we're here for the style points. Uh, big time style points on that one. Uh, let me ask you about the Kraken financially as well. Like, you know, coming out of the Board of Governors, there was a lot of talk about, you know, what the Ottawa Senators' sale is going to be and how many, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars it's going to cost. And there was a talk about the salary cap and, you know, and does the NHL need some of the high-revenue teams to have deep runs? And we think of the Rangers and we think of the Maple Leafs, et cetera. And, you know, part of the conversation around the NHL now is, um, you know, should the league expand again? And a lot of that revolves around the financial success story that is the Vegas Golden Knights and the Seattle Kraken. Like, Seattle's become a really important franchise in the NHL really, really fast. Do you have a thought on all of that? Yeah, I mean, I think it... it I, listen, I'm here for expansion, and I'm here for the league looking at, you know, diff, they, they obviously have to find ways to make up for the, the revenue hits that every business across the world took over the, the COVID years. But yeah. I think you have to be careful because I think if we look at Vegas, the reason they were such an instant success is they won, right? And so and first winning, in the market. as we know. And, and first in the right. market. And first in the market. That's right. And the winning fixes literally everything. Yeah. And I think if you look at the Kraken – their their financial success first was rooted in who they said they were as an organization before there was even a team. I mean, before I even worked here, I remember thinking, I like the way they're building. I like a hire like Alex Mandrecki. I like a hire like Nanita Nandakumar and Danny Chu. You know, you you like the message of inclusivity and diversity and matching a market. And so I think what the Kraken did early is said, Seattle, we are you. And we are diverse and we are trying to reflect what we think hockey should be. And I think that was where their roots Mm -hmm. started. And that's why people buy in. Now they're starting to become successful on the ice and that's only going to strengthen that. But I think, and and we see this when we talk about things like Arizona, or we talk about what happened in Atlanta, it it can't just be put a team here because there's money. I think there has to, in, in today's professional sports market, you have to do something that gives you those hooks into the people who are going to stick with you with their dollars. And it's not always the same combination right off the bat. Uh, that's true. Um, which, which players, I mean, so much of this comes down to the, the, the marketing of players as well and, and which players the, the marketplace gravitates towards. And maybe the answer is just the obvious. Well, listen, dummy, it's Maddie Beneers. Come on, Merrick. Um, who are the players that have captured the imagination of, of Kraken fans early? Yeah, I mean, Matty Beneers is for sure one. I mean, particularly because he's A, fantastic, and B, because they know that he represents 
the future. Um, but I think what's really cool that's happening now is after last season, this market did not really get to know these players. So, you know, they knew Brandon Tanev because of his great photo. Yeah. They knew Jared McCann <laughs> because of his points. Yep. They know now Maddie. Um, you know, they know Philip Grubauer. They love to chant Gru. But I think they're really in kind of a little bit of a love affair with everyone. Will Borgen, who is finally cementing a spot permanently in this lineup this season, did an autograph session at a at one of our stores at a mall in Bellevue this past weekend, and the line was forever long. And, you know, these players have fans invested. And, again, this is an organization where the practices were are all done at the practice rink. They're all open to the public. Morning skates are done at the practice facility, so fans can come to that, too. Hmm. There's a real accessibility that is happening right now in terms of the fans to the players, and the players are rewarding that, too. They're throwing pucks. They're throwing sticks. You know, they're, they're going to autograph signings. They're doing all these things, and I think that matters. Um, it's interesting how, how much, well, so much of the conversation around the Seattle Kraken early, uh, this season revolved around Shane Wright. And I think a lot of people were blinded to the fact that while everyone was talking about Shane Wright and his ice time and his scratches, you know, the Seattle Kraken went about their business of, you know, getting themselves into a playoff position. And there's some great performances by, you mentioned Matty Beniers, you can throw Andre Burakovsky into that conversation as well. Um, to pick up on the Shane Wright conversation, it's gone from, uh, can he get in the lineup to will they send him to the juniors to will they bring him back from the juniors when that tournament is over? Maybe a lot of it just depends on how he plays. Who knows? Um, but do you have a feeling on, you know, does Shane Wright last the season in Seattle or does he go back to, to OHL Kingston? Yeah, I mean, you know, you've outlined a lot of these variables too, Jeff, and I think it, it's, a, it's a watch what happens next. You know, he looked greatly improved when he played one game back in Seattle after his AHL stint um, against Montreal and even in confidence in how he was carrying himself. And I think that's normal. I mean, this player is still figuring out a whole new way of life at a different level of the game. So what does he do at Worlds? What does he look like? What does this Kraken lineup look like? Is, Is there space for him? And then, of course, there's that variable of if he does go back to the OHL, where is he going? You know, we've, we've talked about this you be know, before with other, yeah, he'll exactly. Be but you know, if he would have to be, but if yeah. that for some reason doesn't materialize, then you don't send him back uh, that way. Right. So Ron is constantly watching all this stuff and I think it's going to be, see, see how the chips fall. But if this Kraken team is playing as, you know, there's only been three players from this year's draft who've seen NHL ice. Shane Wright being one of them. Yep. One of them's on Montreal, obviously. One of them played for Columbus because Columbus, I think, has, you know, two players left that were on the oh, opening geez. night roster because of all the injuries. And now Boone Jenner. So, <laughs> I know, geez, it's, it's, when it, it's pouring yeah, there. It's awful. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a given that he's going to be in an NHL lineup this year, particularly for a very competitive team. So, yep. Ron's going to weigh all that and see what makes the most sense. Uh, and we shall see. Okay, I want to end on something specifically. And I don't want to say who tipped me off to this or texted oh me boy. and said, you better mention this because I don't want to embarrass um, Shana like that. So I won't mention I who was it was. Say, I know who it is already. <laughs> uh, what's with you and barefoot driving? No, no. What's with her and barefoot driving? <laughs> Why do that you is know? unsafe. Why do you got to hate on unsafe. it? I do it all the time in the Come summer. On. I do it all the time in the summer, yeah. It's illegal. It. 
your toe can catch on the pedal and then you could accidentally push a pedal you don't mean to for the wrong thing. It's unsafe and unsanitary. And Shana is I'm, wrong. I, I'm, I'm out in the country. I, I see more livestock than people <laughs> when I go on country drives. It's okay. <laughs> Listen, I'm all about the barefoot life. <laughs> Except when driving. So now, so now, Shane and I have we're in a fight, and in the next too many men episode, she and I are, are breaking this down again. I love it. I love it. Uh, get back to your corners and uh, come out swinging. <laughs> uh, you're the best. Always good, Allison. We'll uh, we'll catch up real soon. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. Happy holidays to you and your family. To you as well. Uh, the great Allison Lucan, uh, Seattle Kraken analyst and uh, part of the Too Many Men podcast. Um, Kraken are good, man. Big win against the Jets yesterday. I know Pierre-Luc Dubois was exceptional. Big 3-2 win, though, for Seattle. They needed that one. Vince Mercogliano is going to join me here in about 10 minutes' time from uh, Low Hud covers the New York Rangers, who've now won seven straight games. Uh, but we're going to bring in the guy who's uh, actively taken over my job here and did a great job on Friday and will continue to do so on Thursday and Friday uh, when I'm off on my break. And that is my producer, soon-to-be next host of this show, Matt Marchese. How you doing, Matty? I'm good. Do I get to change the name? No, it's got, that's the thing. <laughs> you have to still host the Jeff Merrick. No, you know, you can change it to the name that I wanted, which was Rink Fries, which they wouldn't let me do. So you can call it Rink Fries. That's, that's about it. <laughs> Rink Fries are good. I'm not going to lie. Like the there are, man. there are some good ones. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I did the, because we're going to talk about the, the Rangers, yeah. that Truba thing last night was so good. <laughs> it was so good. Okay. So what Matt, if you missed it, so what Maddie's talking about is, Andrea Athanasiu, after the uh, the hit, the thunderous body check, uh, when these two teams, Chicago and the Rangers, met previously this month, uh, win by the Chicago Blackhawks in that one, and just Truba just trucked them. Clean hit, too. Much to the chagrin of A, Truba haters, and B, Blackhawks fans. But nonetheless, um, you know, Athanasiu said, well, he makes eight sheets and he doesn't have any goals. I guess he's got to justify his contract somehow. Truba last night, after scoring, and a really nice shot, too, um, went up to him and you can read his lips and he said, do you want the puck? Oh, those are <laughs> moments you just die for. Like, you're, oh, perfect moment, perfect line. Like everything was coming up true by yesterday in that game. It really was. And everything coming up Rangers. And, I, and you know, when you, yeah. when you pointed out about him throwing his helmet and basically telling his team, like, we need to pick it up. Yeah, let's go. I, I, I do believe that that does resonate with players. Like everybody, ah. you know, there were, I no, I do believe that that happens, Jeff. Maybe, maybe not, maybe not over the course of winning seven games where they go, oh, hey, remember when when Truba did that? Captain you know, threw when we his lost helmet. Captain yeah. threw his helmets. But I, but I do think it's a moment in time where you look and go, hold on a second, what are we doing here? I, I think in that moment and maybe for the next game, it has some meaning. Obviously, not over yeah. the course of seven games, but I listen. I like Jacob Truba. I really do. Yeah. I I know that some people were. Not thrilled about him being named the captain of the Rangers. Um, a lot of Rangers fans I saw, there was a lot of uh, <laughs> of heat for that. But at the end of the day, I like what Jacob Truba does because he's a throwback. We don't get that anymore. And I, I love how physical he is. Yeah. Although I do, I do wonder that now, because we're seeing it now more and more. And the one way to distinguish yourself as a prospect, because everybody can skate, everybody can shoot. Like I know that there are players like Connor Bedard and Leo Carlson that are like next level Adam Fantilli from your uh, your former neck of the woods. Um, but the one way to distinguish yourself, the teams are looking for players of physicality. Like who's the big cult hero in Montreal? It's not Slavkovsky. It's Arbor Jacki. Yeah, it's Arbor yep. Jacki. Like teams want that. 
teams are looking for that now more so than ever. So I I agree with you. Like it's an it, it there's an old school feel about it, but I just think that's coming back. I really do. And players are good enough on their feet now. They don't take themselves out of plays when they make the big hits. That's what yeah. make, that's what makes Kale McCarr such a great body checker. It's a part of Kale McCarr's game that nobody talks about, where he is elite. The way that he can hammer a guy, separate puck from player, spin it back the other way, it's gorgeous. Well, and and I, I actually I was I was having this conversation um, with somebody the other day about how it's become such a commodity in the game. And his point was, and, and he played college hockey, and, and his point was, I wonder if more players are going to try and add that as an element to their game totally. to differentiate themselves 100%. from other players. 100%. So maybe we do see a little bit more of it coming back and kind of balance out. Because I think we've gone so far the other way where the game has gotten, like, there's not enough body checking in the game i think we need to find a little bit of a balance because i know we see it in the playoffs but i i, I do yeah. agree and and you do too that we there are going to be players that try and add this element to their game because totally. that's what makes them different everybody wants tom wilson guess what can't go out and get tom wilson you can get a variation of him or someone sure. that does that okay so you mentioned uh truba and the helmet to kick off our conversation i had an interesting conversation with someone on the weekend about helmets someone in the nhl who said that the only thing that salvages the all-white uniforms are colored helmets. And went even as far as to say there should never be a white helmet in the game. That all helmets should be colored helmets. Whether you're the Ducks and you're wearing orange, whether you're Sabres and you're wearing blue, if you're wearing white, you always have to wear a colored helmet. Agree, disagree. Because I agree. If we're going to go with the, with the, with the mandatory whites, throw a colored helmet on there. Or else you just look like a white balloon, just blended in the boards, <laughs> blended in the ice. Well, well, some of us look more like white balloons than others, <laughs> but <laughs> but I mean, I don't I don't hate the idea. I there's something you know what it is. I, it must What's be up? this because I never wore a white. I think I wore a white helmet one year, and it was oh, because really? I was playing for Halton Hills, and it was mandatory white helmets because yeah. we were teal and navy blue whatever yeah and so i feel like that's what i've always had an attraction to the white helmet so maybe that's why i'm kind really, of on eh? the fence yeah because i always wore a black helmet it was always that it was never anything else uh, one year i wore a white helmet but now i look at it and go yeah. yeah i think i think the game just like just adds some color like when we look at like the reverse retros like those minnesota wild jerseys are amazing <sighs> to the hottest in the nhl they're the best. They're so good. They're the best. They're so it's, good. It's the best look. Well, I get my uh, my uh, my youngest boy plays with the the Markham Waxers, and they have the the white helmets. And I am like, okay, I get it. It's it's different. And the kids like, oh, I got to get a white helmet now. I just think it'll look better with blue, well, especially so, when they're wearing their whites. So I somebody tweeted uh, somebody DM'd me this, and they were talking because you mentioned the Minnesota Wild logo a couple times, and his point was it's an homage to Mitch Hedberg. Bigfoot is a big blurry monster who lives in the wild. <laughs> Perhaps the Minnesota wild to be exact. Oh, the wild awesome. logo is blurry at a distance. Cause so is Bigfoot. So Guess is who was Big... born in Minnesota? Mitch oh, Hedberg. Wow. That is fantastic. That is from CP who sent me that message. Oh, and I figured I'd get that to you. CP. Well done. Oh, I do like that one. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. My, my only point about the, uh, about the Minnesota wild logo is that up close, it looks great. Like, up close, the Minnesota Wild logo is fantastic. But you don't see it up close. You always want to be sitting back a few rows or a few sections because 
you know, you can sort of see it when you're close and you're along the glass, but the more you pull up, you look at the logo and it kind of just looks like a smudge. Like, yeah. It, it's like uh, the logo, you know, at the um, the marketing meeting for the Minnesota Wild, I'm sure the, the logo went all around the boardroom and everyone looked at it and said, this looks awesome. This is great. Green light. No one bothered to say, mm, maybe let's look at this from farther away where like, oh, I don't know, fans might be looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're right. I love the logo. I do. Um, but I it's do understand logo. what you're saying as well. Like there's some little intricacies in the logo that you really have to look at to pick out that you wouldn't, like you said, from a distance. Yeah. You're not going to be able to get that. So, true. yeah, but I do. I, I'm very partial to the wild logo. True, true, true. Anything quick before we uh, get a break and get uh, get Vince on? No, let's get Vince on. People have heard enough of me. They'll hear more of me later in the week. <laughs> okay, it's enough for you. Go back, go back into your cave, our uh, producer, yep. Matt Marchese. Uh, hit a break. More with uh, more with Vince Bercogliano here. Going to talk more about the uh, the New York Rangers, uh, their future. I mean, listen, there was all kinds of crazy talk. When they hit that speed wobble, there was all kinds of craziness, uh, whether it was Gerard, Gerard Gallant or players getting traded. Uh, the planes come out of the turbulence right now, and they can see the runway to land the plane safely. So what's next for the New York Rangers, and how – did they get this thing back on track? Vince Mercogliano talks to us about one of, if not the hottest team in the NHL right now, the Blue Shirts of Broadway, the Rangers, as the Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Eight, count them, eight games to kick off your week. A couple on uh, Sportsnet along the network this evening. The Oilers facing off against the Predators. If you missed the news of the day, Stuart Skinner is re-upped with the Oilers. It is a three-year contract extension, 2.3, 2.5, and 3. So the AAV on this one is 2.6. Real nice deal for the player, real nice deal for the team as well. And Stuart Skinner has been a real nice story uh, for Edmonton this season. Uh, That one, and by the way, Preds are in a bad way. Secrets out. wonder if they claim Craig Smith. I'm going to find out here in about 25 minutes whether the Nashville Predators, and again, it would have to take a subsequent move at the same time to free up some space, I would imagine, I I wonder if the Preds uh, put in a claim or have put in a claim for Craig Smith, who's on waivers from the Boston Bruins. So look for the Preds and the Oilers later on tonight, 8 o'clock Eastern on Sportsnet. On Sportsnet Pacific at 1030, it is the Vancouver Canucks. Oh, that was a tough one. Vancouver Canucks facing off against the St. Louis Blues. Uh, Okay, let's get uh, back on. And by the way, Ovechkin looks to tie Gordie Howe against his former team and beat Gordie Howe against his former team tonight as the Washington Capitals face off against the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, Rangers are hot. Uh, winners of seven in a row uh, doubled up the Flyers on Saturday, took care of the Chicago Blackhawks yesterday, and find themselves as one of the top teams in the NHL, comma, again. Uh, Vince Mercogliano joins me from Loha.com. He covers the New York Rangers, and you've heard him here plenty of times, and you'll hear him here again right now. Vince, how are you doing today, pal? Good, Jeff. How are you, man? Uh, I'm doing well. Okay, first of all, I'm a very trivial person. I'm a very simple person. I'm a very easy person to amuse. So I really enjoyed um, Jacob Truba yesterday. Jacob Truba going to Andreas Athanasiou and asking if he wanted the puck 
that just hits me in the juvenile, I'm still 13 years old feels. What did you make of Jacob Truba last night? <laughs> yeah, well, Jeff, it's funny because Truba is the kind of guy, he would never he would never admit nope. that he you know took issue with the comments that he made previously or anything like that, but he, he clearly saw an opportunity there to, to, to rub his face in it a little bit and definitely got a kick out of doing it. And I think the fans got a real kick out of it too. He's, it's been an interesting season for him because, you know, he's had some ups and downs. He's had some very obvious struggles. He's had some really costly giveaways for the team. You know, there's his play. I think as a whole, he would tell you this as well has not been as good as it was last season. And it's been an issue. They've dropped him to the bottom pair on a couple occasions already this season because his play warranted it. But last couple games, he's been better. I think he feels like overall in the last few weeks, his game has been trending in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And you definitely saw him having some fun and playing with some confidence last night. So here's my theory on all of that. And I don't disagree with any of it. Here's my theory on it. And again, I'm not basing this on any insider knowledge or like secret whispers or anything, but we're all seeing the same. Like I'm seeing the same Jacob Truba that you're watching here, Vince. I think he's playing hurt. Not playing injured, but I think that Jacob Truba's playing playing hurt here this season. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you're right. I mean, I don't even think that that's necessarily insider as much as it's kind of common knowledge. Now, Gerard Gallant has said it. He, he labeled it as nagging injuries, plural. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't know exactly what it is. I mean, you know, there's some stuff I've seen in the locker room that I don't know if I'm at Liberty to, to report fully, uh, you know, on the air or that sort of thing, because I don't, I don't want to speculate just based on, on observing a couple things, but I, I do definitely get the sense and have a strong inkling that he has been playing hurt. I asked him a week or two ago if he was feeling better, because I think early on in the season it was really bothering him. Mm-hmm. Recently he said he is feeling better, and so I, I think that whatever it is, they've figured out ways to treat it or at least help him cope with it. I've asked the team, and Glant specifically, would he benefit from maybe a few games off? Is this the type of injury that would heal if given a week or something like that? And the answer was pretty much no. I don't know if this is going to be something that's going to nag him all season necessarily, but Gallant said that Truba wouldn't stand for coming out of the lineup. And uh, he's, he's determined to fight through it. And that, that's what he's been doing. But yes, I do agree with you. And and the coach has pretty much admitted it, that he's playing through something for sure. Did all of this, like the fortunes of the New York Rangers, because they haven't lost since that, that game against the Blackhawks earlier this month. Did everything change? (laughs) Again, I mentioned, Vince, I'm a very trivial, simple person. Did everything change when Truba chucked his helmet? You know, to be honest with you, I've written about this a few times recently, and a lot of fans kind of poo-poo it. I think to them it just seems like a coincidence, and it seems like you're really reaching for something. And (laughs) Do guys guys at this level really need to be motivated like that? But you know what? You talk to the guys in the locker room. I mean, to a man – Right after that game, a lot of guys were bringing it up unprompted. And since then, I've had private conversations with multiple players on the team, older guys, younger guys. They said that it sent a message, that it was a wake-up call, that seeing him not only get into the fights, not only throw some big hits, but really lay his body on the line in those couple games. And then we all saw him slam his helmet against the boards on his way off the ice and yell at his teammates. And I was told that it was yeah. some version of wake-up is what he said. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think that that sent a message to the guys that the way that we're playing isn't good enough. And he was one of the main culprits. I mean, he, we just touched on it. He was not playing well at all during that stretch, but 
I do think that that was his first moment that we've seen where he felt, I think, the responsibility in that moment to be the guy to try to lead. And, you know, he did it in, in some ways. It was an old school way, getting into fights and throwing big hits and that sort of thing. Sure. But I do think it was appreciated by his teammates. And I think it resonated in the locker room for sure. Uh, I should have asked this uh, from the outset. Do we have any update on Philip Heedle yet? Who got hit by Sam Lafferty no. in last night's game? Anything for, about Heedle? No, he, he, the team is off today. They played back to back. So they're always off the day after back to back. I would frankly be kind of surprised if he plays tomorrow night in Pittsburgh, they're calling it an upper body injury. They're calling it day to day. That's what they say for everything. So you're not going to get too much information out of that. You know, the concern is he basically told us without exactly saying it, that the injury that he had early in the season, it was at the end of October. It cost him about two weeks that it was some kind of a head injury. It's believed to have been a concussion. You know, when he came back, he was wearing that tinted visor because he said that yeah. the, he was having sensitivity to the brightness of the ice. So you know that there was some kind of a head injury involved with that. So this would potentially be a second head injury in less than two months. That's that's scary business for sure. Yeah. So, you know, I don't have confirmed that it's a concussion or anything like that. But if you watched the hit and you saw the replay, which I've looked at several times, mm-hmm. you know, the way that his head jerked back, and he looked like he was he was shaken up immediately. It's it's scary stuff for him. And, and again, this could potentially be the second time he has that type of injury in less than two months. So I think you got to be careful with that sort of a thing. You know what I mean? Uh, totally. And when we when we when we think of Heedle, you know, we uh, inevitably go to the the other two thirds of the kid line and Alexi Lafreniere and, and Capo Caco. Do you have a thought on? I mean, you just mentioned the injury situation with Heedle, but do you have a thought on the other two, on uh, on, on, on Capo Caco and Alexi Lafreniere? Yeah, well, you know what? I, I can give you a little insight into something that I'm working on right now. Okay. Those three guys have really stepped up during the seven-game winning streak. You know, a lot of the talk about this team coming into the season was they let Cop go, they let Vetrana go, they let, they let all these veteran guys that had played in their top six or in their top nine go in free agency. And the idea behind that was it's time for the kids to elevate into these more prominent roles. And early in the season, when the Rangers were struggling, the kids really weren't carrying their weight, especially as point production goes, you know, they, they need these guys to take the next step and become guys that put up points for them. And, And I think part of it was situational usage. They don't get much, if any at all, power play time. They've had spurts in the top six, each of them, but it's been pretty inconsistent. I frankly think, They've been yanked around in the lineup a little bit too much. But you look at this seven-game winning streak, one of the things that's standing out is all three of those guys have been producing. Heedle, prior to getting injured last night, had scored four goals over the course of six games. Mm-hmm. All three of them have six points apiece during this seven-game uh, winning streak. So the depth of the team is looking stronger now that they're getting contributions from up and down the lineup. And the kids really stepping up in these last couple of weeks, I think, has been a huge part of that. So I think all three of them recently have been trending in the right direction. And I would make the argument that Heedle, if you look at the full body of work over the course of the season, even though he's missed some spurts with, with minor injuries, I think he's been the, the best out of those three young forwards. The speed that he plays mm-hmm. with, the skill that he plays with, his shot is really high quality. He's become a much better four-checker with, with that speed. He, he re, he's realized 
that he can effectively disrupt teams when they're trying to make breakouts or trying to clear pucks and that sort of thing. So to me, out of those three young guys, I think he's been the most effective this season. So losing him would be a huge blow for the Rangers. But but as far as the, the seven-game winning streak is concerned, I think all three of them have been a big part of it. Okay, I'm going nitpick, to nitpick this seven-game win streak just a little bit here. Should we be concerned about Chris Kreider? No, I, I, I don't necessarily think so. He's always... Throughout, I mean, last year was a different story because he was hot from start to finish. Yeah. But throughout his career, he's kind of been a hot and cold player. He still leads the team in even strength goals. Mm-hmm. I think he's still one of the top, you know, I think he still has 15 or 16 for the season. So he's right up there, you know, with the top scorers on the team as far as his goal production is concerned. He, he has not been great recently. I think a lot of those other guys that we mentioned have been picking up the slack. It's interesting. This is another thing I'm writing about right now when you look at this team as a whole right now, because their expected goal rate, and I know some people will, will take that with uh, more of a grain of salt than others, but their expected goal percentage during the seven game winning streak is like 44, 45%. So the underlying numbers for them don't look very good right now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's really interesting because earlier in the season, when those numbers looked better, they weren't winning as much. And now all of a sudden they're winning, but the underlying numbers, as far as, scoring chances and possession and that sort of thing don't look as good. So there's still, I think a lot of areas where they can improve and Kreider certainly falls into that category, but it's hard to argue with the results when you've won seven games in a row. So the, the Rangers are the hottest team in the NHL. uh, One of the best teams in the NHL right now. And they got some kids that are on the horizon too. Uh, And we're watching a couple of them at the world juniors. And we think of Brennan Othman, for Team Canada. And then there's uh, another kid by the name of Adam Sikora. Now, Adam Sikora was a second rounder last year to the Rangers. As you all know, Vince, he didn't have the first. Um, there's been some talk recently about the Rangers bringing him over. Um, the Medicine Hat Tigers hold his rights in the Western Hockey League. Uh, there is a deal in place right now that if the Rangers do bring him over, he'll get traded immediately to the Saskatoon Blades, who are like 25 and 4. At the, at the Christmas break, so they'd put him into a situation right where he's you know has the ability to succeed and play on an elite-level team. Uh, what are the expectations for both these players? Like, how close is Brennan Othman, who we'll see at the juniors? How close, you know, we'll see, you know, Sikora play for Slovakia. How close are these two guys? Othman is, is definitely closer, I would say. He's, he's older. He's well, well-established in the OHL, as, yep. you, as you know, He's been a you know leading goal scorer there for two years in a row. He, I believe, is not. I don't see him coming uh, this season at all. I don't think they're going to start his entry level contract yet. They mm-hmm. can slide that to next year. Yep. But I fully expect him to be in training camp next season with a real chance to make the team. Mm. It's an interesting situation for them. You know, he said that he can play both wings, but I know he plays more left wing in the OHL. So they have a lob jam on that side. They have Panarin, they have Kreider, they have Lafreniere. Those are all natural left wingers. But if one of those guys, most likely Lafreniere, we've talked about this so many times, but if one of those guys ends up transitioning to the right side, then I think you could see Offman maybe break camp as the the left winger on the third line. I think that's Mm -hmm. a role that the Rangers would be excited to see him in. So for him, I think next year is the ETA. You know, if, if they feel like he's not ready out of camp, you know, then he would be AHL eligible, so they could send him down. They did not have that option this year. As for Sakura, as for Sakura, I actually asked him during uh, rookie camp and training camp, 
what he would prefer to do this season. And he was very diplomatic about it. He said if the Rangers wanted him to go to Medicine Hat, he would have gladly done that, but he would also be happy uh, to go back and play in Europe. And, yeah. and ultimately, as I asked around, I got the sense that his preference was to go back and play in Europe, and that's what the Rangers ultimately let him do. And, you know, he, he's playing against grown men there, and he's a real feisty player, a spark plug kind he of a is, player. Yeah, he is. Yeah, I mean, he plays, even during, I mean, development camp, I wrote this, nobody hustled from one drill to the next quite like that kid did. So he was, his energy level is absolutely through the roof. And I know the Rangers see him as a guy that they think will be a really good four-checker and defender at the next level. So it'll be interesting to see his development path. I I think his preference is probably to stay overseas, but I I don't think he's the type of kid that would complain if he ended up coming over here and, and, you know, playing whether it's medicine or elsewhere uh, this season. So that's something that I guess we'll keep an eye on. But they're excited about the future with him. They they think that he's going to be one of those guys that's a real in-your-face kind of player and the kind of guy whose game might play up in a playoff setting. I, I, I like him a lot. Like I'm looking, I think Slovakia is a dark horse to medal here at the, uh, at the world of juniors. I know they didn't get Slavkovsky, but there's still, whether it's, um, you know, uh, well, Philip Mishar, uh, up front, certainly. Um, I, I think they might be a dark horse to, to grab a medal here. Let, let me end on a, on a question about Vitaly Kratsov. What's the end game here? Is it to cement a place in the lineup or is it to heat up for a trade? It's bizarre. It's pretty bizarre, Jeff, to be honest with you, the way that they've jerked him around <laughs> this season. Yeah. You know, early on, he was he, he was dealing with multiple injuries. He would come in the lineup for a few games and he would get hurt. And I, I think that, quite frankly, frustrated the coaching staff a little bit. He's been healthy now, though, for a month or so. And he went a long stretch where he was a healthy, a healthy scratch for several games in a row. And it was peculiar because this is a team that's struggling to score at five on five. This is a former first-round pick that they've really worked hard in the last year or so to mend the relationship with after they had a really bumpy ride for, for mm-hmm. quite a while. You, I know you're well aware of the history there. Oh, yeah. So I, 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 don't, I didn't really get it when they weren't playing him, and it, was, it became like a daily question for Gerard Gallant, and, and you know, I think it was a question that, quite frankly, he got sick of answering. <laughs> I, you know, I don't think that that played into him starting to put him back in the lineup, but it was all of a sudden then, while the team was winning, he kind of snapped his fingers and decided, okay, actually, we're going to find a way to get him back in. He's played three games in a row now. It's all been on the fourth line, and, and that is not a role that, that suits his skill set. He's not a very physical player. He's much more of a skilled player who you'd rather have playing, you know, at least on your third line. Right. And Galan has said, listen, I know he's not a fourth-line player. I eventually envision him moving up, and I think the spot that, that he covets and that the Rangers have maybe – talked behind the scenes about putting him into is right now their top line has been Artemi Panarin, Mika Zibanejad, and Barclay Gaudreau. And I think, you know, Gaudreau's a guy you can easily move down in the lineup. And then for Kratzoff, that would be a tremendous opportunity to play with Mika and Panarin. So he got a shift there last night and it turned into a goal for him. So maybe that opened some eyes, but you do wonder in the back of your mind, if, if he's long for this organization or yeah. if ultimately he, he will be a trade because he, he's an RFA this summer yep. and they got so many other guys to pay. You know what I mean? So it, it's been a really weird, bumpy ride for him this season. We'll, uh, we'll follow that in advance of trade deadline. Uh, man, you cover this team so well. Vince, thanks as always, pal. We'll check back regular. Cool. Thanks, Jeff. And Merry Christmas and all that. Happy holidays. Yes, to you as well and uh, your families and, and all of your readers at Loha.com as well. Vince Mercogliano. 
uh, who covers the Rangers, the hottest team in the NHL. Uh, thanks to all of our guests, Vince, Allison Lucan, Corey Lavalette, and Elliot Friedman. Thank you uh, to Jen for making the show look presentable, Lance for making it sound presentable, and Matt Marchese for continuing the process of taking my job. Thanks to everyone who watched. Thanks to everyone who listened. Merrick's show returns tomorrow, noon Eastern, across the Sportsnet radio network.